0: Hi, I'm Rusty Ray with Elantra. I head up the U.S. healthcare investment banking team here in New York, and you are listening to Crossroads, our podcast that focuses on interesting technologies, products, and services in the healthcare segment, all with an eye towards M&A. We're joined here today by Chris Harley-Martin. Chris was the former head of business development at GSK within their consumer division, Chris was at GSK for 30-plus years, so brings a wealth of M&A experience as well as operating experience. And we are lucky to talk to him today a little bit about kind of the evolution of M&A within the consumer health space, how companies think about acquiring, keeping, and divesting brands when the right time might be, and how to keep and maintain the most value, where the M&A priorities lie today, and what the big themes in the market are and how the role of private equity has shifted within the consumer health space and investing in that space over the last five to 10 years, and and really what's been driving such a frothy environment of recent activity. The consumer health space is now being established as an industry, you could say, because of all the spin-outs and and new platforms, whereas it's one of the older industries for 100-plus years, but really operated within the shadows of their larger pharma ownerships. So, Chris, over to you.
1: Well, thanks, Rusty, and, and nice to be here. So, I started working in this industry in the late 1980s. So, I, I guess I've been around a, a very long time. Yes, I've had operational roles as, as well as MA and BD, but the real strong thread in my career has been MA. And for the last 10 years, the the head of MA at uh, GSK Consumer, now Haleon, since uh, July of 22. I think the prospects for MA and consumer healthcare are strong, but to Give that some colour, I think we have to look backwards a little bit to the history. It seems to me that M&A, or more broadly, transactions have always played a significant role in the industry. I've personally experienced huge changes through MA and transactions from in licensing technology to supplement in house R and D and the whole evolution of open innovation, which was, was new when I started work, to simple brand divestment, carve out, acquisition, joint venture. And in fact the portfolio of Halion is deliberately curated from Lots of transactions that happened over the previous decade. And the industry has some attractive market dynamics, tailwinds behind consumer healthcare, care, or, or more accurately, self-care, strong. So it's not surprising that it's been a dynamic environment for MA. There's a clear opportunity for market players to drive steady growth, strong margins, especially for products that work, and show some insight into the consumer's needs and, and behavior. And brands in this industry are very robust. Some of them are hundreds of years old. But the industry has also been very fragmented, which has been the source of many transactions. No company has really stood out over the last few years as having the lion's share of either products or brands. And so unlike, say, cold beverages, where there are only a few players and it's a more consolidated picture, there are also very few truly global brands. So what you see is hundreds, possibly even thousands of regional and local franchises, many of which have not only been in the market for a long time, but don't travel particularly well because they reflect local habit and practice in in self-care, such as Ayurvedic or, or traditional Chinese medicine. So real opportunities have existed over time for players to pick up unloved local brands that sat in other people's portfolios and leverage that latent equity. But for a long time, many of the larger companies who owned consumer brands or consumer healthcare brands were focused on other parts of their portfolios. And they held on to those assets, in most cases, either unable or or unwilling to divest or invest, for that matter. So consumer healthcare businesses in those portfolios are well known for delivering regular cash flow, relative stability. So they played that role in portfolios, almost an annuity, I suppose. And it took time for those assets to become available as, as priorities changed. And many businesses, many of the larger businesses who were in the industry 10 years ago, have sold their assets on. And opportunities for M&A occur partly because these assets were likely to be worth more in other people's hands than they were in the the owners. I mean, look, there are other dynamics that have driven M&A in the past. I think one of the things I noticed about the industry is it has very permeable boundaries. In other words, it's always changing, constantly evolving. And there are some segments of the market like Vitamins, minerals, and supplements, let's say, where the barriers to entry are a bit lower. And that has expanded hugely to embrace new, different types of products. And there's other drivers as well, like RX to OTC Switch, which brings new products to market. A great example of those dynamics from my point of view was Sanofi's acquisition of Chatham in in 2010. I went back the other day to read the press releases, and it was clearly positioned by Sanofi as... A consumer platform in the u s to help convert some of their prescription products to OTC brands, which they did very well with it with a number of, of different products equally in more recent times we've seen a lot of m a in, in vitamins, minerals, and supplements where brands are being created regularly by innovators and entrepreneurs and then sold on to larger companies and this been particularly prevalent in the u s in the last few years and even sold on to companies who haven't traditionally played in the consumer healthcare space, companies like Unilever and Nestle. So look, the history has been a large fragmented market, constantly evolving, a market with good tailwinds where historically some brands were underleveraged and underinvested, undervalued by their owners. A market with plenty of incentive to innovate behind changing consumer attitudes to self-care, creating new segments and opportunities. And all of that drove a fair amount of m a And in the most recent times, that Sale from larger players of their consumer healthcare brands and businesses has driven some of the bigger transactions. For example, Boehringer and Novartis both exiting the market. However, the other big theme has been the emerging interest of financial sponsors in the market, which has really changed over time. And I'd be curious, actually, of your view of how the motivation, the financing, the strategies of private equity have really driven M&A in, in the consumer market.
0: Well, I want to answer that question, but, but first I have a question for you because you, you said something I thought that was quite interesting and kind of plays into financial participants or financial sponsor participants in, in the M&A market. And that is, it's a large fragmented market. When you think of consumer health companies, you think of Johnson & Johnson, Glaxo just a few months ago, Bayer, etc. But These are really pharmaceutical companies. And so do you think that the industry changes? Do you think the consumer healthcare landscape becomes more established, even though it's very, very old? Is it ready to become established as its own separate industry once the Haleons and the new J&G platform come out from under their pharmaceutical parents? Do you think that's a driver for kind of how the industry is perceived the consolidation of brands and categories?
1: I think it's always been difficult to talk about a consumer healthcare industry. In fact, if anything, it hasn't really existed in anything other than the portfolios of products that sit within pharma. The fact that we do now have the demerger of GSK's business into Halion, the promise of J&J coming to market in 2023. And a number of other businesses where there's an expectation, but not yet a promise, that so Sanofi, I think, may well come to market. And there are a few others, I think, that sit on the fringes that could be considered part of that overall consumer healthcare market. Sandals, to a degree, Teva, even Bausch Long, all of whom have a consumer orientation and franchise. And add that to wreck Unilever, Nestle, et cetera. Yeah, I think you're seeing the emergence of a, of a new industry with its own dynamics its own metrics, and its own strategies. And The one thing that strikes me about today is that all of those companies emerging from Big Pharma in particular are changing their orientation from reliable cash flow alone and, and being an annuity to focusing on growth, different investment profiles, in some cases, different portfolios. You see a few of them changing the portfolios ahead of demerger. A few of them a little bit less willing to, or even frankly, need to do that. So they're they're more stable and trying to create a, a sort of stable P and L. But I think the fact that each of them is finding their own identity now will drive a very different attitude to M and A and to the way people run their portfolios. And that is a big
0: change in the industry. It's an interesting case study because you have an industry that is hundreds of years old yet now newly reestablished or established for the first time, if you think about it, not in the way that they have been before. And, you know, I think that disruption, if you will, has driven a lot of deal-making across strategics as well as financial sponsors that have looked to enter the space through the acquisition of brands or platform. But, you know, if you go back and you think about the financial sponsors as acquirer of consumer healthcare businesses, and when I say consumer healthcare, I'm kind of thinking, you know, more traditional OTC. So something that's highly regulated, but still relies on a brand. The channels used to be brick and mortar, food drug mass. And it's been kind of interesting because there were only a handful of folks that kind of ventured into into the area because it is so highly regulated. And I know going back to the early two thousands, people that were interested in space, they almost seemed to be interested because they saw low-hanging fruit within some of the larger pharmaceutical companies. They would see a brand, a brand that has 50, 70 years of heritage that everybody knows, everybody's grown up with, that has become non-core to the owner, and as a result, gets little or no support, has declined in sales, but it's felt with even a modest degree of support focus that these brands can be revitalized and you know produce tremendous amounts of cash flow. And from a financial sponsor perspective, that, that's a great outcome. So I think that's what drove some of the interest back in the day, was just the idea that there was some light lifting that could be done to revitalize, dust off some of these brands and get them back into the consumer's hands make them relevant again and foster growth.
1: Do you think that thesis still holds for for private equity or has it got a little bit more difficult in recent times?
0: I think everyone would like for it to hold. The idea of finding the diamond in the rough, the brand with 70 years of heritage that has been unloved but still has tremendous consumer awareness and all you need to do is turn on the promotion and it goes off like a rocket ship. Yes, they still exist, but everyone's chasing them. So the idea or success of you (laughs) peeling one of those out of pharmaceutical companies or some other consumer health uh, business that owns them is getting harder and harder. I think the idea that consumer health companies are just going to let these go at sort of modest valuations is, is gone. That scenario no longer exists. It's really been a situation where multiples have gone up and up and up. There's just so many more buyers out there. Very competitive buyers, and they're all looking for ways to differentiate themselves. One is just having a platform, having a few brands, having experience, going to the seller and showing, hey, we have capability. We can make your life easier. We're going to take these brands and we're going to give them the love and attention that they deserve, and we're all going to look good in the process. But that's no longer enough. Then I think the thesis was well, maybe it's just cash. I pay the biggest price, I win the day. For a while, that worked, but I think as the strategies around acquiring brands, growing consumer health platforms, especially in the OTC space, it's not just cash. It's not just a good management team because there are many folks out there that meet those criteria. I think it's having a different perspective. It's trying to understand what the seller needs to achieve through divestment, how you're Simplifying their lives, making their lives easier, and how it becomes a a bit more of a collaborative process and hence maybe a more structured deal than a straight acquisition. Well, that was fun talking with Chris, getting his 30 years' experience on the past within the consumer health market and how that's going to relate and transition into trends we're going to likely see in the future. As we think about the consumer health space and how many clients we've worked with in helping them acquire and divest assets over the years. It really is instructive to have someone like Chris help us think through how uh, larger corporates think about their portfolio and optimize growth around that portfolio and optimize cash flow as it relates to products that are considered tail or no longer core to the business. It's been a very instructive conversation for me to hear where his thoughts on the MA priorities today and, and what the big themes in the market are. Of course, if you ever want to hear more about our thoughts on where we're headed within the consumer health space and some of the work we've done there, please reach out to us. Thanks.